Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And as we always do, before we talk about the the main film of the, the podcast, we will give you some recommendations. Ian, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. Awesome. What do you got? Um, well, I've been on quite an HBO kick lately. I mean, HBO is, is not cheap, so I'm looking to try and get my money's worth out of it. Damn right. Um, so today is a rather unfortunate day. Today is March the 29th, and it is Brexit. Today is the deadline. So uh, who knows what the future holds for England. I'm rather depressed and not happy about the way that that vote came out. And it's it, the whole Brexit thing for me was just embarrassing on a sort of national and worldwide scale. I, I've never felt more ashamed to be to be English than when Brexit happened. I know people say that's probably a an, an over-exaggeration, but it's really not. Um, well, I got to figure that our, our audience base is Americans. And even if we understand, even if we understand the, the technicalities and the legalese of it, we, we don't get the cultural well, impact. Of yeah, it at all. no, and exactly. I mean, who knows what the ramifications of it are going to be? Anyway, there is a film on HBO. Uh, I believe it was a BBC production uh, that's picked up by HBO for distribution here called it's just called Brexit. Uh, it's starring Benedict Cumberbatch as one of the. Oh, I have heard of this. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. It's, uh, he, so he plays one of the masterminds behind the whole Brexit vote, and he plays a very antisocial kind of man, uh, not a likable figure at all. You figure he's probably, he's not Asperger's, but he's definitely on the spectrum because he just doesn't know really how to communicate with other people, and it's his way or the highway. Um, and it deals a lot with voter manipulation. They're, they're, the big point that they make very early on is that you have these three groups of people you have the people that want to leave you have the people that want to remain and you're not going to change them either way but you've got these three million people in the middle who are undecided so it's their votes we've got to get and it also makes allusions to the 2016 election as well and voter manipulation in that as well and all kinds of fraud and it's it's a it's a depressing watch honestly um but I think a very vital and necessary watch to, to kind of see the behind the scenes of, of why and how things went wrong. And it deals with the huge scandal with um, uh, the bus. Uh, you may have heard about this, the, the bus that was driving around with the, the huge, ridiculous figure. We give the EU 350 million pounds a, a month. Imagine what we could do to reinvigorate the National Health Service with that, which is a total and utter lie. Uh, end to end, nothing about that statement is true, because even if you had that 350 million pound, and you can't just turn around and plug it straight into the NHS. Yeah. Um, anyways, but it, it's a. I'm not going to say it's a it's a it's a great movie, if, but it is a vital watch. And Cumberbatch does what he always does. I mean, he's he's fabulous in it. Yeah. Short and sweet, huh? Short and sweet. Okay. That's all I got, man. Like I said, I'm in a, I'm not in the best of moods. Okay. Okay. Well, I have a weird recommendation. And technically, it's it's two movies. Oh, but here's so in, I love a double feature as much as the me, next guy. Let me give a like a, a a weird in to why I'm recommending these. So um, here at a thousand and one by one, we try to think about the movies that we're gonna do and not just randomly pick them. Sometimes we do, but other times we think about 
a, re- a release date, whether it, it ties into a director or an actor. And a lot of times we think about anniversaries. And I was thinking about this year, uh, and that it's it's 2019 and, and, and decades that end in nine. And <clears throat> a very famous and iconic film came out in 1979 called Apocalypse Now. Which is in the book. It is in the book. And so is Hearts of Darkness. Uh, the document, and I haven't seen it, but I know I do know that it's the documentary sort of surrounding the epic and arduous journey that was making Apocalypse Now. Oh, it's probably the most one of the most personal documentaries that's ever been made. Sure. So, and I I was just thinking ahead and go that might be that might be fun to do a nice double kind of a double feature episode down the road. So my recommendation is kind of in line with that, and the movie that we watched, it's an awful movie it's awful but it's awfully good you know what i mean oh yeah and this movie which i'd never seen before but obviously knew of was the island of dr moreau oh my goodness you're talking about the marlon brando val oh yeah kilmer. val kilmer one yeah, yes yeah. and and i'm not gonna talk too much about what the movie's about essentially uh david thewlis is picked up he's in the middle of the ocean val kilmer finds him takes him back to the island and you find out that moreau has been making these animal human hybrids and uh, he has control over them and eventually the animal human hybrids take over and that's pretty much the movie it's awful it's awful but it's so awful that you have to watch it you, do you know what i mean like oh yeah and it's weird because like the production value is great the the, the special effects of the, of oh, the it was, of a, the animals it was are, a big budget movie yeah um however what i didn't know was that the guy who wrote it richard stanley was also the guy who was set to direct it. And he was fired after about four days. Do you know any of this? I, I've heard about it, and I know of the documentary. The documentary. Yes. The documentary is called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. And I don't know how Hearts of Darkness goes. I don't know how it's edited and how it's compiled. But watching The Island of Dr. Moreau one night and then watching this documentary the next was a fascinating double feature to watch this movie and and to see the the earnestness and the the care that was being that was that was crafted to produce what could have been a good movie and just the shitstorm that ha- I mean everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with this movie the best little tidbit that I will throw out there is that um the director kind of went a little little a little weird after he did got Did he fired. go a little funny? He went a little funny in the head. A little funny in the head. A little funny in the head. Um, and he never, because they were shooting remotely somewhere, and I forget where. Um, somewhere in the Philippines, I he, would guess. He never he never left. He was supposed to as a part of his deal with MGM because he was getting paid. He was getting paid his full, um, or it was, uh, uh, it was New Line, I think. Anyways, he was still getting paid what he was going to make as a director, but he basically was not directing the film, but he had to leave. He never did. He actually came back on set as an extra, one of the animal human hybrids. And he was, he's in shot. He's in the movie. He's actually in. Anyways, it's a, it's a fascinating double feature. Um, and maybe not the same night, but Island of Dr. Moreau is one of those, like have a bottle or two of wine. You know, just enjoy what's going to be an awful – give it like watch Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer just not give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like just they just don't <laughs> give a shit. And they're not giving a shit so hard, man. It Oh, God. It's just 
it's just awful. Well, I would expect that of of Brando at that point in his career because this well, is 95? 96. Okay. But so Val Kilmer, I think, was literally about to go through a divorce as he was coming in to shoot this thing. Oh, okay. Like he just didn't care at all. But he was all. also at the height of his career at he, this well, point. He was. He yes. had done. He had made Heat and Batman Forever in yes. the same year. Ex- yes, exact, exact. He was. We were at the height, which is why. And Kilmer was getting paid a shitload to make this movie. But he came on. He demanded forty percent of his lines get cut. He wanted to be in, in fewer scenes. I mean, he just is. He just is as on screen, not giving a shit the entire time. It is, oh, real diva ooh. status. Oh yeah, oh big yeah. time. Oh yeah, and then the documentary, which helps sort of. You go, oh, there was a good movie behind this, and it all just went to shit. So, so it's I, it's a cheat, but I have to. Uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Well, we did kind of the same thing when we did the Brazil episode, and I think we came to the conclusion that the making of Brazil yes. was almost more fascinating than yeah. the film itself, and the same issue that Gilliam had trying to make his Quixote movie as well. I mean, yeah. there's that brilliant Lost in La Mancha documentary. Yeah. So, anyways, um, uh, Island of Doctor Moreau, you, I think you have to rent. I don't. You can. You can. You can rent it on any of the services that you rent movies from. But right now, the Lost Souls documentary is actually on Prime. So if if even if you just wanted to watch the documentary, you can watch that because it's, it's is Moreau not on Prime as well? Because you think if they had the one, they'd have the other. It's not like not it's not free with Prime. You know what I mean? You still yeah. have to you have to rent it. Yeah. For whatever reason, the the documentary is Prime. But yeah, that's something I would expect to find on HBO because I think New Line was acquired by oh, Warner might, Brothers, and I think be. Warner Brothers television deal is with hbo i'm not gonna lie it was at silver platters for like three bucks and i was like you know what that's the, that's the price it would take to rent it so i just bought yeah it. it's on your shelf because why not it is yeah damn proud of it too excellent um and speaking of movies being available on prime at least as of this recording um the film that we are talking about today is and uh, as ian will bring up at some point during the uh the, the conversation today we are celebrating the almost hundredth anniversary of a very i would say pivotal film an influential film and we are talking about the 1919 1920 the 1920 let's just get out of the way the book has it wrong the book says 1919 this film came out in 1920 so we're celebrating the 99th anniversary yes just get it out of my system now perfect and we are talking about the german expressionistic film the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, this was directed by... Ooh, my notes are in the wrong place. Uh, directed by Robert Wien. I don't know how to say his last name, so we're gonna, you're going to hear some, some pronunciations that are a little off a little bit. Um, playing Dr. Caligari was Werner Cross, who uh, the part, I believe, was written for. Um, now, I, I'm going to read this. Is it, is it Caesar or Cesar? I would read it as Cesar. Oh, great. Okay, good. That's how I read yeah. So uh, uh, we had Conrad Veidt as Cesar, Frederick Feher as Francis, uh, Lily Dagover as Jane, and then uh, this one, this one's going to be good. Hans Heinrich von Twardowski. Uh, I knew you were going to like that name. As Al- oh, it's, that's beautiful. That's yeah, fantastic. That's poetry. And then uh, the only one I had was Rudolf Lettinger as Dr. Olsen. Uh, do you have any? That's, it's a no, pretty I, small I, cast. I, yeah. 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 Um, it's pretty much we're just pretty much talking about Dr. Caligari, Cesar, Francis, and Jane. Those seem to be the, the, the those are the players. Yeah, exactly. And um, of course, uh, Conrad Veidt. While we're on him, the only guy that I think really had a career that you know this film did some favors for him. He went on to actually kind of make it in Hollywood 
for a little while. I mean, he's in Casablanca. He did a couple of films with Bogart, nice. actually. So nice. he's he's in Casablanca. He was in Above Suspicion, Thief of Baghdad. Um, unfortunately, died very young. Yeah, but he um, did. He did kind of. He made his mark. Yeah. So I mean, this film. It's an. I mean, obviously, this is a very old film. Um, it's a silent film. So there's no. There's no accolades really. I mean. Yeah, the Academy Awards wouldn't be for another seven years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I did, uh, there was a um, like a, a, a review written much much later. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but it was Pauline Kale, um, and I, I just like how she uh, she starts this this chunk. The audience confined in the madman's universe sees what the madman sees: distorted perspectives, eerie painted lights and shadows, an angular warped world of fears and menace. The sets are used expressionistically to convey the madman's thoughts, to intensify the character's emotions, and to emphasize the meanings of the action. And that doesn't really talk about the plot so much, but I, uh, before, and I, I want to get through some other things too, but I want to, I want to talk about expressionism, um, just for a, like a second when we get there. Um, uh, the only other thing I, I want to say is just Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I think this is our third film with a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Stalker mm-hmm. and Grapes of Wrath being the other two. I Grapes of Wrath for sure. Yeah. I, I yeah. And Stalker is the other one. Okay. Um, an, an 89, uh, um, audience, which that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That's fair. Behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, before we launch into the uh, the what the movie's about and everything, so it's nineteen, it's a nineteen twenties German film, and uh, it, it's expressionistic, and that's essentially a style of art and theater that was popular, especially in Germany around that time. And I'm going to be a total theater nerd for just a few minutes, so bear with me. But I, I think I, when I was watching the movie, it really came about. Well, this is like the last episode, Life of Brian, was I really feel like I took the lead on that one. I Because this is a German expressionistic film, I, I did imagine you would take the lead on it. Well, there's just some... I, when I was watching it, it was very clear. I mean, yes, the, the angular buildings, the shadow, the way that it's presented, it, it's my education and, and my, my knowledge and the classes that I've taken. I, I was kind of aware of that, but I wanted to just bring up um, a couple of the other isms and where they were and how they came about. So... Um, just even doing like the quick Wikipedia search. So um, when I looked up expressionism, they talk about uh, expressionism being about the failure of social values with a predilection uh, for ecstasy and despair and a tendency towards the inflated and grotesque, even mythical. And even just saying that, almost all of that is, is very apparent in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, another one of the isms was futurism, which was uh, mostly of Italian uh, or origin. And that was uh, it was emphasized, uh, it emphasized speed and technology, youth, violence, and objects such as cars, airplanes, and industrialization. Um, almost think almost think precursor to steampunk in mm. terms of like. Well, visually. you talk about that, and I think about uh, Metropolis, which would follow a few years later. Metropolis is almost a weird like it's like futurism and expressionism got together and had a baby. Yeah, that's kind of what Metropolis is. Right. Which and while we're on Metropolis, you've you must have found in your research Fritz Lang was the original choice of director and he's the guy that helped put some of the framework yeah. around the film as well yes yes I yeah, can't wait to talk about the frame story stuff because I thought that was I found that fascinating um, the other two I want to bring up just really quick was um, surrealism which was a, a, a mostly French origin and that is um, it, it features elements of surprise unexpected juxtapositions and non sequitur surrealism was really kind of out there um, stuff that didn't go together very well um, and of course, that makes you think of somebody like, um, why am I blanking on the director's name? He's the most important, probably, director in, in film history, the guy that did A Trip to the Moon. Oh, um... George, um, George Morales. 
or Marielle's. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce yes. his. Yes, yeah. they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. which if, which would make sense again because that's he's French. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, which doesn't really have um a necessary like country of origin is absurdism. The absurd arises out of the fundamental disharmony between the uh the individual search for meaning and the meaningless of the universe. Um. So, anyways, that was just my quick dorky theater nerds I've wanted to come no, out. No, I, I like it. That's that's um, really nice to to start the episode with. Yeah, but it just when I you know when we when you open up with Caligari and you're when you see all the buildings and and how crooked they are and the the sharp angles and and everything. If you know if if you don't know about it, you go well. This is a little off. This is this is kind of putting me at ease, which is yeah, no, it's unease. Which yeah, is, it's it's supposed to make you ill at ease. Exactly. It's supposed to kind of take you back and go, okay, so what we're looking at. There's going to be some distortion here, which yes. which leads into the framework around the film, and the the idea of the un, unreliable narrator. Yes, which it kind of circles back to Rashomon, I think, where you have, you know, this this predates the Rashomon effect. Well, and do you? I, I was gonna I was gonna save this for later, but you brought it up. The uh, do you know what we got done? So we got Melissa and I watched this movie, and we got done. And was this your first viewing? It was my first viewing. Okay. Yes, it was. So I I think this is about my third viewing. I went through a whole love affair with silent films sure uh, well you'll remember being in, in multimedia with me my fascination with black and white and silent I do I and, do uh, uh, Miss Carletti telling me that there is no audience for black and white and silent films well uh, I believe the artist won best picture yeah whatever <laughs> fine that, that that mediocre movie won best shout picture shout out to shout out to her she was a wonderful teacher Miss Carletti was great I loved, I loved yeah. her class that yeah. was actually my was senior my favorite class yeah was, in my senior year it was the only reason I kept coming to school there you go yeah um, so you mentioned the not just okay so when you mentioned un, unreliable narrator you're right that, that Rashomon I think is a very good example of that but when I got done with the movie the first movie that came to mind for me and hopefully you see where this is going, is um, Shutter Island. Oh, yeah. This whole idea of somebody in a mental institution who thinks that he is do- is going down one track when really it's it's we don't find out until the end that it's something else. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm really glad you brought those two together. I mean, because as, as we all know, Scorsese is a huge fan of everything cinema, and he does have a love for those silent films. In fact, Hugo... Hugo is just a huge, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, a, oh, it's a huge it's, homage and, and a love letter to, to that style of filmmaking. It, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good point. I like that. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, I've, it's made me appreciate Shutter Island so much more. It, me too. Yeah. Honestly, me too. Yeah. yeah. I almost, God damn, I feel like watching Shutter Island. Now. I know. I think I might watch it tonight to be yeah. totally honest. Yeah, yeah. I really want to. I, I, the second I got done, I was like, God, Shutter Island. Yeah. Now I want to see. Cause, so, cause right. Cause. For, I've probably watched Shutter Island like three times, mm-hmm. and I'm so right like, on the fence. Like it's a beautifully remember, shot film. I remember not liking it when I saw it in theaters when it came out. I was like, I was kind of taken aback. I wasn't quite sure I what Scorsese was trying to say with it. Yeah, it felt the ending almost felt like a cop out to me. Kind of, but kind then of, it's like, but not really. But now, but yeah, it's like I want to watch it now. Just with that, it is seen it is this? one of the prime modern examples of a film that demands second viewing. You yeah. have to see. I'm sorry. You just have to see Shutter Island twice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's very true. It's the first movie since probably Memento that I really felt that way about. Or no, sorry, Prestige. So yep. there, there, there are a couple of films like that. Cube is one of them for me, which oh, I God, know is Cube a is weird one nutso. for people. 
uh, you know, there's there's Usual Suspects, there's Prestige, uh, yeah. and Memento. There's a few examples much, from almost, Must See Twice. Almost anything Christopher Nolan has done. And, and I think Cal- Caligari is probably the earliest example of that. I do think Caligari demands multiple viewings. Yeah. So, um, talking about the, the plot of this movie, it's not that long. It's like 71 minutes. So, I, I don't want to go through it, I guess, beat by beat, but... We open up with Francis, who is who is our, we find out, is our unreliable narrator. And he's talking to just some, kind of just a random old man. And his... Well, the old man is bemoaning of how spirits are were beset upon all sides by spirits. And they've taken my love from, from me or yeah. something like that. Um, and then he sees his betrothed. He sees his, his to-be... Jane. Well, yeah, sorry, I was just using fun language. No, yeah, Jane, yes. Jane was walking by, and Jane is... In this moment, there's something off about Jane, and we mm. don't we don't quite know what's going on, which leads to this, you know, let me... Francis, let me tell you why she is the way she is. And then we we flash back, and um, we we see that there's, like, a traveling fair, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you couldn't quite call it a circus, but... Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then amusement uh, amusements. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exa- yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then uh we we see and meet Dr. Caligari who um is a weird fella. Yeah. And he's got a very interesting look. He does. Which um uh He's he's the grandpa you don't want to meet in a dark alley. <laughs> which uh I read that Warner Cross actually um had a lot of um a lot of influence on his his look and his costume. Mm. Like the the glasses and the cane were were his ideas. He was an actor of German expressionistic theater, and so he and and um uh and Conrad Veit whatever um were both trained German actors uh, for the, for the stage. So they actually, I was reading about this. And I, it's really really true. Um, if you've seen this movie, the way they move is it's it's really stylized. It's very much of that era. And then you have people like Francis and Jane who are quote unquote the more normal people in the movie not doing that and part of it is because they don't have the same training but it's also it also shows the differences in the characters yeah no it, it works because they're playing the sort of straight men in the story exactly. who, are, who are beset upon by by Cesar and, and Caligari and yeah. so it makes sense for them to have some sort of otherworldly movement about them yeah and so Dr. Caligari has um, so he has Cesar who is a can you pronounce this right? A somnambulist? A somnambulist. Somnambulist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is basically just a guy who can perform shit while he's sleeping. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, it's it's based on I mean, we at some point, you know, when we're done with the plot, we should talk about the writers, but it's based on now. one of the writers. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's fine. So uh, written by Carl Mayer, who would go on to write Sunrise, one of the first films to score big at the Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hans Janowitz, uh, they were both pacifists during World War One and had very different experiences in the war. Uh, but they both come out of it being very distrustful of authority. Yes. Yep. Which is the entire basis for this film. Uh, but the, the Somnambulist is based on uh, something that I believe uh, Janowitz saw. Uh, when he was at some carnival in uh, in 1913 in yes. Hamburg, this is a crazy story. So he story. he went and saw this guy who would, could, he was hypnotized and then would perform these feats of strength while hypnotized. But also at that same fair, he believed that he had seen somebody murdered as well. So he had all this stuff kind of happening to him, you know, being the the sort of genesis of this project. Because well, what what I had, what I had read was that 
he was at that he was at that fair or you know where whatever it was, and he he saw what didn't he see, like see a girl get kidnapped or something? Yeah, and then well, and his mind it sounds oh, no, no, like no, 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 that's right. So he no, sorry, sorry. There was a he noticed a creepy guy. Yes, and then a, a little a girl had died. So he, he kind of put two same, and two together. Yeah, he noticed that same guy at the funeral. Yes, and that's he sort of yeah that that was sort of this. So it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he actually saw a murder, but in his mind, he connected those dots. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's that, that's the way that I read it, yeah. at least, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that was... No, please dangerous. continue with the... We were talking about the uh, the plot, the somnambulist. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and and uh, so uh, Caligari... Probably the, has... most, the most iconic shot in the film, him opening his eyes. <sighs> oh, yeah, that or him carrying her body. yeah. That's pretty. That's ah, God. Probably the eyes, though. Yeah, the eyes are are good. It's yeah. It's a really good shot too. Ooh, yeah. I don't know, man. I do love the uh, all the. Is it? Is it? What is it? Is it Caligari that's being written like written on the screen or what is? Yeah, it's almost got this kind of pre comic booky kind of thing going on. You know, you think of it made me think of you know old Batman episodes, but that yeah. was from the sixties with you know where you'd see pow and kablam on yeah. the screen, and so you have. That kind of pre again. I mean, this film was a trailblazer. It really was. Yeah. Um, and and I think again, we're kind of all over the place. Sorry, yeah. listeners. I think what I appreciate the most about this movie was the fact that this is not a straight narrative. You know, this is there's a flashback, and then we go back, and then when we flash forward to where we were at the start of the movie, you basically find out that everything that you've heard is is not true. Yeah. Or or it's not to be it's not to be trusted. It, there we go. Yeah, cuz cuz who knows. Well, we That's, also have we also have flashbacks within the flashback when you learn of Caligari's sort of origins. Yes. And I just I just I think I'm this is one of those times where I'm going to end up be, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth because I I've I've said a couple times I I don't just want to put a movie in the book because it's historically significant. Like if I don't like it it shouldn't just be in the book because it was the first movie to do fill in the blank. I.e. Birth of a Nation. Yes. Ah, yes. So I think we've said it before, but we'll say it again. We are not doing Birth of a Nation. That We're is not. not an episode that will happen. Yeah, it won't. It won't. Um, we might just do like an episode on D.W. Griffith and like mention his movies and then get it done with. Because I don't. Yeah. I, from what I can tell, I'm not going to like any of his movies. I yeah. don't think. But who knows? I might be wrong. Um, I have hope for intolerance. Yeah, I do too. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, but we'll burn that bridge when we get to exactly. it. Exactly. Um, but. It, this movie, I, it's not just trailblazing in its in its style and its impact. And I, I know Ebert called this the first true horror film, but which is a bit of a stretch. It is, it is. Um, but I think for me, what I appreciate is that you know we're st- like people are still just figuring how to use a camera, how to tell a story using this new medium, and they they decided to tell a story that included flashbacks and and not straightforward narratives and a, a fairly ambiguous and maybe at the time confusing ending which which may have led to the initial uh quote-unquote failure of this movie it was not critically received especially in germany i would say it seemed like uh, people weren't too thrilled with it when it first no. came out but i just i am i'm um kind of blown away by the quality of the storytelling yeah yeah, I I mean, was, no, I'm I'm with you. I don't winded, but no, I I'm with you. I don't think films should be in there just because oh they did this before anybody else did it. You've got to have 
the quality there to back that up. Yeah. And I, I think I think Caligari has it. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, there are better silent films. Oh, sure. I mean, Nosferatu is... Which I haven't seen. Leagues but, above this film. Yeah. But I don't think you you could have Nosferatu without Cabinet of that, Dr. Caligari. That's kind of what I was... Yeah. That's what I was... Yeah. 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 Influential for, for Murnau and... Um, and uh, Fritz Long, too. Yeah, so. well, and uh, even a little further east uh, in Russia, even uh, Sergei Eisenstein, who would go on to direct uh, Battleship Potemkin, which is one of my favorite silent films of all time, and the, the Russian revolutionary film October. I mean, he said of it, he loved that it was a combination of silent hysteria, partially colored canvases, daubed flats, painted faces, and the unnatural broken gestures and action of monstrous chimeras. And the man was just a wordsmith. Oh, yeah, yeah. I generally think people back then were anyway. Yeah. I don't think, I, I mean, I think, I think people who write well today, it's few and far between and God bless you. Cause, yeah. cause I think we've lost that, that touch. Well, I think blogging was the end of it. It's just, uh, there's a wonderful line in, uh, Steven Soderbergh's, uh, contagion where I think it's the, uh, Elliot Gould character that says blogging is just graffiti with punctuation. <laughs> I like that. I just bought uh, Cyclops and Videotape, by the way. I need to see. I haven't seen it. That's surprising and shocking to me. I know. I know it is. I know. It, don't get your hopes up. It's oh, okay. Okay. Um, it's very obviously a first feature. Sure. Um, it, but, it's better than most, but that, it's that's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, so, anyways, the the plot of this is that um, Caligari has to get a, a permit to be at the fair, and the town clerk doesn't want to give it to him because he's busy. And just a, a dick. Yeah, he's, he's very short with Dr. Caligari. And you can see Caligari kind of scheming in that moment. Well, he's only short in his attitude. He's quite tall up there on that chair. Oh, yes. He's, he's, it's on a he's high... On, he's on a chair which is like 10 feet tall for some again, goddamn again, reason. The the style yeah. accentuating the, the, the literal power struggle between yeah. this town clerk who has it all and Caligari who doesn't. Um, and uh, uh, Jane and Francis, and Francis's friend... Alan. Um, Yes, Alan. There's kind of an unspoken sort of love triangle there. I, yes. Well, they even mention that. They do, yeah. You know, if she chooses you instead of me, let's not let that destroy our friendship. Yeah. Um, so they, they all go to this fair, and uh, Caligari is there, and, and we, we see the somnambulist. We see Cesar awake, and. Um, he predicts Alan's death. Yes. Can I. Uh, was this like a, a thing that people did? Watch a guy wake up and, and just... Well, we talked about how, how Janowitz went to that fair and saw somebody hypnotized, but the hypnotized is not really... I mean, a somnambulist is just a fancy word for somebody who sleepwalks. Yeah, and I, I think I'm just... I'm. This is my 21st century skepticism coming in of like, we're going to watch somebody wake up and say things. And I, I hear that. I'm like, that is stupid. <laughs> We we have a we have that different level now. Us millennials, we have that gimme 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 now now now. It was, no, sort I, of. I get it. I and I know again. I, instant gratification, which I, I, wasn't. I realized that this of, could have been a thing that was popular, or or like a sideshow attraction. At I get it. I get why, how it works in the film for that time. I'm not. I'm just. I'm. It, I'm just saying. My my point of view is. Like, yeah. That's just. I wouldn't. I would see that and keep walking. Well, we had to. We had to address that in our duck soup episode, didn't we? With the 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 different styles of of what was entertainment then and of what course. wasn't now. I mean, vaudeville just wouldn't fly now. That's true. Yeah. And and except for some like, 
homage artist like film so that somebody could make two years from now that's just it's a, the, you know it's like here here's you know, we we vaudeville is a thing so let's do a film about it and, yeah yeah well speaking of that i am very excited to see uh stan and ollie about you know stan yeah. laurel yeah. Uh, all laurel and hardy played by john c Riley and and uh coogan coogan yeah, yeah. um and so yeah you're right yes so yes uh cesar predicts alan's death and uh, also, uh, the town clerk dies, which I think um, is what skews suspicion towards Caligari. And uh, Francis starts to – or no, sorry, jump ahead a little bit. Jane goes to visit Dr. Caligari because she – what is it? She wants to get information? Is that kind of what that is? Yeah, yeah. And um, Cesar ki- – or. I assume Calig- or Cesar under Caligari's influence. Hypnotism yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, sends, sends Cesar after her. And we get a scene that I think is great where he struggles. Cesar kind of breaks into her house and he struggles to take her. He ultimately does, but you can see he there's a, um, a reluctance to doing it. Yeah. And again, something that I appreciate now having done the research after thinking back was – how traditionally that set was constructed for her house. There were no sharp angles. It was, it was like a, it was, it was like a parlor room, right? I mean, you have the bed and you have everything and it's, it's very, that beautiful oh, tall window. He goes yeah, through, but, but it's, but it's all very normal, you know, in, in the, in the sense that like, this all looks quote unquote real. Yeah. And it's a safe place for her. And then him breaking in and taking her, that's when the nightmare begins and you go out into the real world with the crazy angles. Yes, and the, exactly. You know, the sets that were made of paper, yeah, and then they painted the shadows because really they couldn't cool. afford the lighting. I yeah. mean, this is this is post World War One, Germany about to go through one of the worst depressions in history. So Very true. You got to save on electricity. Yep. So he 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 takes her, but doesn't ultimately bring her all the way back. He he leaves her because her family is chasing after him. Um, and there you go. That's probably just as iconic, if not more iconic, than the eyes opening. Yeah. It's him running down that crazy slope and then yeah. abandoning ba- abandoning her there to ultimately uh he falls in the creek and and dies yeah and then there's um there's a <sighs> well you you have francis spying on caligari yes. yeah and you know he's there's a fake there's, there's a the, fake cesar right there's there's the doctor that comes to examine the real cesar yes and then you also have you know like you said you have the he believes Francis believes that he has been watching Caligari and Caesar this yes. whole time while yes. Caesar is off doing his thing. Yes. Yeah. And then, so help me out here. Cause I, now that I'm, I've said all this, I'm, I'm, I found myself backwards in my notes. They, they arrest a killer, right? Yeah. Well, he goes to, he goes to find out more about Caligari and finds out he goes to the, the institution there. No, no. Before this, though. Oh, okay. They arrest. They arrest somebody, right? Yeah. They, there's one night they catch some woman catches a guy slinking through the shadows. And oh, they, they believe yes, they're gonna try and hang the murders on this guy who yes. does admit that he did want to kill this woman. Yes. But you know, ultimately find out that oh wait, this guy has been sitting in jail the whole time, and yet she's been she's still been kidnapped. Yes. So it can't actually be Cesar that's in there with Caligari. Thank you. Yeah, I, I yeah. got I got confused for a second there, but yeah, we're on track now. Yes, and has, then, has yes. Caligari poisoned your mind? I really, yeah, I'm an unreliable narrator right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you're, and then yeah, so then Francis does his own investigation into Caligari, 
Which you want to speak a little yeah, bit and, on and, that. Yeah, and he, he comes to find out that Caligari is a name that this, this doctor has taken after reading about this traveling monk who performed the same thing. And the guy becomes obsessed with the story and becomes obsessed with the fact that he must, you know, there's no real reason given for it, but he, he develops an obsession with the story and decides that he must become the modern day Caligari. Yeah. You know, and, and use this patient of his to enact these, these puppeteered abductions and murders. Yeah. I mean, and that's about it. And that, that brings us full circle to, you know, pretty much the opening of the film. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. So, um, but what, there's something. There's no something else that happens with Caligari and Francis. Like they, isn't there some? There's like a meeting in his office. Or yeah, something. like he comes. They they bring him back to the office and they kind of confront him. Yes. With, yes. Okay. And then yeah, and so we we cut back to where we were at the top of the film. Francis talking to this old guy, and and then the the film just does this this crazy thing where we see Cesar with a, was they have flowers or something. Yeah. But it's he doesn't look the way that he did before. He looks more in a way. He looks forlorn. He looks kind of almost lovesick. He just looks like a, like a kind of a dopey, mopey guy. Yeah. He does not look like the crazy guy we've been watching in this movie. And we we realize that Francis is a patient in the mental institution that he believed that Caligari was running in his. Yeah. I don't want to call it fantasy, but I, I don't really know what else to call it. So it, it has the same thing, and it's great, again, that you draw the conclusion to Shutter Island because the DiCaprio character believes in that, that he is being manipulated by Ben Kingsley when all Ben Kingsley wants to do is help him in the same way that all the Caligari, quote-unquote Caligari character, wants to do is help Francis. Yeah. Yet he feels like he's being personally attacked and persecuted by him. Yeah. Um, and, and the film ends fairly ambiguously with the... Um, well, he says I. He believes that I am Caligari, so now I know how to how to f- cure him. Yes, yes, yeah. Whatever that means. I mean, we don't know what his intentions are, but maybe he does really mean to cure him. But maybe now he knows that he can manipulate him further. Yeah, and uh, and that's the end of the movie. It, 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 that's literally we we the end, and that's it. No, yeah. movie's over. So I think it's uh, again. I think I think what the, pulls this movie out is just the how creative it was and how effective it was in using what little they had. I mean, you talked about the, the set design and, and how little they had to do it, literally painting shadows on onto paper sets. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. I um, mean, if you've got to be creative, right, you got to find ways around, you know, saving money, saving electricity. Well, I was uh, I was really interested in revisiting this film um, because I know that, that and I wanted to show it to Liz because I know that she does enjoy the odd Tim Burton film or two, and so I wanted to show her. Look, this is where Burton pretty much got everything he does. I don't know if you necessarily agree with that statement or not, but I I do see a lot of expressionism in the performances that he tries to elicit from actors and his strange sense of style. Oh, I definitely. I feel like this film would have been a huge influence on somebody like Tim Burton. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the frame story. Oh yeah. Uh, so it seemed like, um, well, it's also, it's seems like it's debated about who contributed what. Yeah. Which is what I wanted to bring up. So, um, our screenwriters, it, it seemed like, so, and I, I don't have the names in front of me, but did, did you have, uh, right yeah. There? Uh, Mayer and, and Janowitz. Thank you. That it seemed like their script did was not, just the story. Yes, it didn't include the stuff 
uh, bookending the film at, at the, the madhouse, for yeah. lack of a better word. So it would have been an even more surreal experience. You would have just had this story that you're literally dropped into and then pulled out right at the end with the reveal of, of Caligari and who he is and what his intentions were. What I wanted to mention was, so yeah, we talked about the the frame story and who, who gets credit for that because it, it seemed like that was something that Robert Ween, Wine, I can't say his name, uh, possibly brought to it. Um, but who knows how much Fritz Lang had left behind. Exactly. So um, I'm going to read directly from something. So uh, it was it was believed that there were no surviving copies of the original script, that, that they were all gone until uh, in the in the 50s, Warner Cross, who played Caligari, uh, finally uh, revealed he had a copy. He, didn't, he refused to part with it, and then he, he died in 78, and then it was purchased by Deutsch Cinematheque. And it remained unavailable for public consumption until 95 when a full transcript was, was published. The script revealed that a frame story was indeed part of the original Caligari screenplay, albeit totally different from what was in the final film. The original manuscript opens on an elegant terrace of a large villa where Francis and Jane are hosting a party, and the guests insist that Francis tells them a story of what happened to him 20 years earlier. The conclusion is missing from the script. So, anyways... Uh, again, sort of some nice kind of fun, weird trivia about Caligari yeah. and, and who gets credit for what. Um, Ultimately, when you have a film that's this important and has stood the test of time and been the trailblazer that we've talked about, does it really matter? I, you, you would hope not. But, yeah. I, you know, it. it's it's... And for me, it's kind of the... Uh, well, nobody is alive who was involved in it, but so true, we but can I, speculate all we like. I like to think about the, uh, the Pulp Fiction... Uh, Quentin Tarantino, Roger Avery, how much w- did he actually write? Um, oh, yeah. You know, and just and just never really, you know, who knows if we'll ever really know how much of both of those guys, guys wrote the script. But but ultimately, it, it basically all the fame went to Tarantino. And in that same way, I think that's kind of what was going on back then was, you know, well, we wrote the script. And it, apparently, didn't they, uh, um, Janowitz and Mayer, they apparently did not like the additions that were made to the film. That, yeah, that's what I read as yeah, well. Yeah, that they, they... They wanted it to be, like I mentioned, the more surrealistic experience where you're just dropped in and then pulled straight out. Yeah. And you just have this thing to, to ruminate upon and, and try to figure out, put the pieces together yourself. Well, and it's it's just funny. I mean, and obviously, you know, back then they, they probably couldn't have seen what this was going to be. I get where they're coming from about wanting to be open-ended and let you, you know, let's, let's, let's have you leave with thinking about something. The ending they have does the same thing. Yeah, it, it just, it, just it does enough of questions. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I tell you what the a, a benefit that this film has brought to me is now I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing more of 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 Wine's work and and Vites as well. They did another film together uh, which is high up on my watch list called The Hands of Warlock. Oh, I've even heard of that. Which is about a uh, it was made a few years later, uh 1924, I think. Okay. Uh, uh Vites it's got a beautiful cover with him and his hands all twisted in a very strange position, holding them and looking at them in shock and horror because he plays a pianist who loses his hands in an accident oh. and then has hands from a recently deceased person grafted on. And, of course, they're the hands of a killer. Oh, so okay. that it sounds it was remade uh, actually I, in my research about it it was actually remade in 1960 a French production that actually had Christopher Lee in it so you know my love of Christopher there Lee there you go I'm all over it um yeah it's funny how influential this film is that Ween doesn't have another movie in the book yeah 
I mean, I mean, granted, you know, a thousand and one sounds like a lot of movies, but you know, in the history of time, it's not that many. Yeah. And so I guess it's not totally shocking, but you know, it, Caligari really is a a monumental and influential film, and it's just it's a little surprising to to only have him have one film in the book. But if he has to have one, oh, I mean, of this, course, this is yes, the yes, one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, would, I haven't seen anything else, but I would agree with that. It's I, just so yeah. iconic. I, w- I would guess. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that the Hands of Orlock, when I finally get around to that, is is good, and maybe I'll do a follow up and let you know how it was. I, that sounds damn. But good. But I tell you, tell you what, I will not be watching is the 2005 quote unquote remake with uh, with Doug Jones as Caesar, where they just filmed them all on green screen and then just dropped them into mats of the old sets. I, which, I did. What's I, the point? That's kind of like Gus Van Sant's shot for shot remake of Psycho. Just why? Yeah. Why? That, the, the biggest question is why. I did enjoy reading about all of the attempts at remaking this film yeah. and all of them like n- either not coming to fruition or totally just, collapsing. Or just being garbage like yeah. the one with uh, Caligari's granddaughter is like an exploitation film oh, doing all like those psychosexual experiments on like just why yeah i don't know like i i like this i, I like thinking that shutter island is a loose adaptation right that it's like here's i love this movie let me kind of do my version of it yeah it's like like it's 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 like blue jasmine is just a, a, a woody allen's version of a streetcar named desire i i i think that kind of um like homage is great. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, well, and and I think and you, see Tarantino, you see like Tarantino do it all the time, but I think that's, that's, that's fun. I think that's, that's okay. But don't just try to tell the goddamn same story. Yeah. Put your spin on it. Do something different. With yeah. It. Yeah. I, yeah, I have no interest in seeing that, that Oh five remake. Nope. Nope. Would you, do you have anything else you would like to add? Or? Well, I did. So we kind of, his favorite shots, eyes opening and, um, the run down the, the yeah. I also like the establishing shot where you see the town on the hill with all the twisted buildings and it's it's not quite right and it gives you that ill at ease feeling that we're entering something of a dreamlike world where things are misremembered and distorted even to the point where they're physically distorted. Yeah, yeah. That the expressionistic feel of the movie. It's yeah. maybe we'll just I, that might be my unsung hero is expressionism. Yeah, I think it, I mean it just well I, it works. I mean it's I think I think you should definitely mention you know the people that. Design the sets. Oh, yes. You've got uh, Ryman, Rorig, and Warm. Uh, they were all, uh, they would later go on to do some very influential films, such as Passion of Joan of Arc and, uh, and Vampire with I have Carl s- Theodore Dreyer. I have so much interest in seeing that Passion of Joan of Arc. I oh, haven't so yet, I, but yeah. I, oh, God, I want to see it so bad. And, of course, the cinematography, uh, Willie Hammeister. Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, they- he ended his career. I mean, this he, I mean, Peaked with this film, but unfortunately, he, he ended his career by doing the two-part Nazi propaganda oh, Olympia. Yeah, jeez. Uh, for for Lenny Riefenstahl, yeah. who was being worked like a puppet by uh, was by, it Garing? Uh, Gorbels. Oh, oh, Gorbels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Goring or one, one of those one of Nazi pricks. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Uh, that's and that. By the way, you can quote us a uh, thousand one by one. We're no we're no fans of Nazis. No. So, Why so. do we still have those? I don't How know. How is that still a thing? I don't know. They're new now. That thus the Neo, I guess. No, oh, Jesus. Um Well, I didn't want to end this talk no, of, no, of well, talking I, about a German okay, film okay, with, okay, with okay, Nazis. Okay, okay, okay. Well, then, okay. I I know I know I realize that this this is a silent film and that most of the titles on the title cards. Do you have any lines that you 
liked any bits of the dialogue that were or title cards. Well, I, just, I, I think it's fun. I love the uh, the sentiment between Alan and Francis. Let's not let this tear us apart. Yeah. kind of thing. And it's like yeah, there's some camaraderie. I did like the abruptness and the shock of of the somnambulist basically. Um, how long? How long shall I live? And I just love that you will not your, see your ti- the dawn. Yeah, your time like, is short. You die at dawn. I was like, yeah. holy, wow. Well, don't sugarcoat it. Yeah, Cesar. Well, and it's like, God, I guess like if I'm gonna ask that, you know, make you think twice before asking a question like that. Yeah, just don't ask that question. Um. So, Ian, should this film be in the book? Yeah. As as anybody who is a fan of film history, it is essential viewing. I agree. I agree. And and. I don't think I would a, take it a step. Sorry, go ahead. Well, a modern audience, you, you're you're always going to have a hard time convincing somebody to watch a silent film. I, I think I, you know what, I I totally agree. I I mean, I absolutely agree with that. But what I will say is that right now you can't you can't claim accessibility being an issue because it is on Prime, and and not, I realize that not everybody has Prime memberships. But if you do, and I mean, it's, it's a, on YouTube it's as well. Huge, well. So yeah, many of those silent, silent films, films yeah. are there's no there's, there's no rights copyright. Yeah. They're all in the public domain. But there's no reason for you to not watch this movie. No. I, I, I mean, logistically, right? You can find it. It's not hard to find. And what I found was that I, I could watch this movie and take taking it seriously, but still, like, because I watched it with Melissa, and we were talking through some of it, not, like, belligerently. You know, we weren't just like, hey, hey, screw this movie. But we were talking about things. It occasionally, you know, had fun dubbing over the actors, yeah. you know? But still, at the end of it, I, I, I thought about the craftsmanship behind it and the clear influence it has had on films today. So yes, for modern day film lovers, absolutely. But I think, you know, it's a, it was a, I hate to say this about like what, what some people would call a horror movie, but I thought it was a fun watch too. Yeah. I was so interested in, in the design being a character in the movie itself. So well, it's yeah, definitely, that's, that's a yes, great way to put that. The, the design yes is a character. Yeah. I, it just it works so well for it. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a yes for me too. Yeah. So that's uh, unanimous. It's two weeks in a row, my friend. Actually, three if you include that shit show that was the the Quiet Man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, so that's a, that is a yes from both of us. Uh, but obviously, we want to hear what you think about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So please find us and uh, give us some feedback on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Uh, like, listen, rate, review, all those good things. It actually really does help, um, not just for getting us out there so you can, so we pop up on more people's feeds so you can see it, but also just for our, you know, we want to we wanna know that we're doing good. Yeah. We want to, we want with some feedback. Validate and, us, yeah, please. Please, please. <laughs> we're, we're meek little podcasters here. and We just want to tell you about some films. Um, <laughs> what a weird way to end this podcast. <laughs> Uh, Until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.